Let's turn together in Scripture to the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 3. 1 Timothy, chapter 3. This is a well-known chapter because it gives the qualifications for elders or bishops and deacons in the church, but it also makes quite a statement about what the church is in verse 15, and in light of the context, which is about office in the church, when it speaks of the church in verse 15, as the house of God and the pillar of the truth, it's evident that it's talking about the visible church or the, the church institute. Let's begin at verse 1 of 1 Timothy 3. This is the word of God. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity, for if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of deacon, being found blameless. <clears throat> Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree, and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. So far we read in Scripture this morning, in light of that reading, let's turn to the Heidelberg Catechism and consider Lord's Day 21, specifically question and answer 54 of Lord's Day 21. We'll cover the other ones at a later time. Question 54 asks, What believest thou concerning the holy Catholic Church of Christ? Answer, That the Son of God from the beginning to the end of the world gathers, defends, and preserves to himself by his Spirit and Word out of the whole human race a church chosen to everlasting life, agreeing in true faith, and that I am and forever shall remain a living member thereof.
Beloved congregation in our Lord Jesus Christ, as we come into Lord's Day 21, it might seem as though the Heidelberg Catechism is introducing a totally new topic than what we have looked at before. We were following the stages of the humiliation and exaltation of Jesus Christ, and it was clear that this had to do with our faith in the second person of the Trinity, that is, God the Son. Then we had one small article that shed light on the person and the work of the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, in Lord's Day 20. And now we seem to be moving on to a set of miscellaneous topics that don't seem to fit anywhere else. The Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body. But in reality, our confession in Lord's Day 21 is building off our confession in Lord's Day 20. We haven't left the doctrine of the Holy Spirit in order to pursue miscellaneous topics in Lord's Day 21. The doctrine of the church is the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. That's because the church is the Spirit's work, as this Lord's Day points out. It is by His Word and Spirit, question and answer 54 says, that the Son of God gathers, defends, and preserves His church. By the Spirit, the church is created. By the Spirit, the church is governed. By the Spirit, the church is cared for. And that tells us something very important. There's an appeal to the Spirit that people sometimes like to make, and it goes something like this. Well, I can feel that the Spirit is moving me to take this job over here. Or I can feel that the Spirit is moving me to marry this man or this woman over there. I just know that the Spirit is moving me to do this. I just know that the Spirit is moving me to do that, even though that means the Spirit will in fact be leading me away from the church of Jesus Christ. But the Spirit will never do such a thing, beloved. The work of the Spirit is to build up the church through the word of truth that is preached there. The work of the Spirit is to preserve the church through the oversight and the wisdom of faithful office bearers. The work of the Spirit is to draw individuals into life together in the church, not to scatter them. Which means that the one who is most in tune with the Spirit's calling on his or her life is the one who will be drawn into the church to make his life there and to make his confession there. And by the Spirit and out of the Spirit, he will confess this confession of faith, that I am and forever will remain a living member of the church. I call our attention to the instruction of this question and answer with this theme, believing I am a church member. First, we will see that this is an article of faith. The church is not, first of all, something we see. It is, first of all, something we believe. I believe in holy Catholic church, we say in the Apostles' Creed. Secondly, there is a church that I see. That one holy Catholic church becomes a visible church that I see and interact with. And then finally, seeing that church, living in that church, confessing that church, I love that church. 
Believing I am a church member. First, the church I believe. Second, the church I see. Finally, the church I love. Now, as with everything else in the Christian life, our approach to the church, beloved, must be by faith. If we begin with what we see of the church, eventually we will give in to despair. If you look at the church today, you will find that the church is in a sorry state. There are many buildings in our city constructed with church architecture, with people who gather inside on Sunday. In a good number of those buildings, there are true Christians who gather to worship the Lord out of a true and sincere faith. And yet, on the signs of all of these churches, in front of all of these buildings, there are names that speak of serious, fundamental differences in confession. Lutheran churches, Reformed churches, Baptist churches, Presbyterian churches, and the list goes on. There's a long history of disunity and schism that stands behind the church as we see it today that explains all of these divisions. And then there's the reality that many church buildings are little more than empty shells. The gospel is not preached there even as a crumb. There is instead a deliberate, purposeful embrace of the world's agenda, the world's values, even the world's symbols. And what once historically was a church becomes a parody of the church and has more in common with Sodom and Gomorrah than with Jesus Christ. We look at our own precious denomination also. We will find there are troubles there, troubles within and troubles without. The church, as we look at it, as we see it today, is in a sorry state. But we ought not be surprised by that. That's really the way it has always been. If we imagine it's something new that the church is afflicted with disunity and with sin and with false doctrine and with apostasy, then we should read a little church history and get a little bit bigger of a perspective on the church. Or, if you don't like to read church history, just read your Bible. Read the Old Testament. Read the books of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. What were the prophets prophesying against if it was not apostasy, schism, disunity, problems in the church? Read the book of Judges. Read the books of Kings and Chronicles. The visible church has been in various states of disarray and confusion since day one when Adam and Eve stood outside the gates of the Garden of Eden clothed in the coats of skins that God had to make for them because of their rebellion. That's why we must always approach the reality of the church by faith, first of all. And to be clear, that doesn't mean faith in the church. And everything that I just said should make clear why we do not put faith in the church. We don't say in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. We must approach the church by faith, but it is by faith in the triune God. Our faith must be in God the Father who chose every member 
who belongs to his church before the world began and before any one of those members was born. We must approach the church by faith in God the Son who came down from heaven seeking his church and laid down his life for his church as a husband lays down his life for his bride. We must believe in God the Spirit who was sent by the Son as the holy breath of God to, to breathe life into the church. When we begin by faith in God, well, then things start to look differently. Not that we don't see the ugliness. Not that we don't see the problems and the sin and the hypocrisy. Faith never means that we don't see sin and problems and hypocrisy. Faith does not mean that in our own personal lives. When we become believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, that doesn't mean that we no longer see our own sins, our own failures, our own weaknesses. In fact, when we have faith, these things actually stand out to us even more and become an even deeper source of grief to us. But faith also directs our attention away from the church and away from ourselves as the solution to these problems, as the answer to these sins. And faith directs us to God and to Jesus Christ, who by His Spirit is faithfully working throughout history and throughout the nations to gather, defend, and preserve His church. His church. Faith, beloved. Faith. Begin anywhere else and you will not make it. Begin anywhere other than faith and you will become a cynic. And you will write off the church. And you will probably end up leaving the church at some point. You will say it's too hard. You will say, what's the use of this? You will say, these people are hopeless. This church is hopeless. Church membership is first and must always be a matter of faith. Which is why the Lord's Day puts this confession in our mouths. In question and answer 54. We say this, beloved. You say this personally out of a true faith that I am and forever shall remain a living member thereof, a living member of this one holy Catholic church of Jesus Christ. Church membership is not a matter of willpower. Church membership is not a matter of making the right decision at the right time. Church membership is not a matter of seeking what's best for me and my family, although it might include all of those things. But it is first of all a matter of believing. Believing in the living God who by His Spirit is gathering His church. What this implies, though, is that there's something deeper going on here than what we see. Beloved, no one has ever seen the church. No one but God, that is. And when I say seen the church, I mean really seen it. Seen it as it is in its fullness and as it, as, as it is in its glory. Seen it as it is in the mind and in the heart of God. Seen it as it will be one day when it's perfected. What we see are people on our left and people on our right. People behind us and people before us. What we see is the record of church history that involves all kinds of people, many of whom lived centuries ago. What we see are more church buildings and church names than we can count. 
from all over the world, but we don't see the church really, truly, not yet. The people who come closest to seeing the church are the ones who have left this world and have gone on to glory. They see almost all of the church. For even death does not separate you from the church, beloved. I am and forever shall remain a living member of the church, is what we say. And the saints, when they die, they become a part of this multitude, this multitude that's growing greater every day, a multitude. And in the center of that multitude is the Lamb, Jesus Christ, the head of the church, the Son of God in the flesh, glorified and risen. And that multitude is gathering around Him more and more every day, praising Him, glorifying Him. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. That's the church triumphant. But even that church isn't perfect yet. And it won't be perfect, that is, it won't be complete until every last soul is born and saved and gathered and the Lord Himself returns to the earth with all His saints behind Him. And those who who remain on the earth are caught up to meet with them in the air. Then we will see the church, the whole church, and what is today invisible will become visible. But for the time being, the church is an invisible reality. It appears here and it appears there in flashes. But its fullness is hidden. It is the invisible church. The gathering of the elect out of all the nations, some of whom have not been born yet, some of whom have not yet been gathered into the church, but they belong and they will be gathered. Invisible. That's the church as it exists today. And that's the church about which we confess that I am and forever shall remain a living member. You can't say that about the local congregation. Even if you live your whole life as a member of one local congregation, the same one in which you were baptized, one day your membership in that local congregation will be terminated. One day your name will no longer appear in the directory or on the roster when you die. But your name will always appear on the roster of the invisible church, which we believe and of which we confess that I am and forever shall remain a living member of that church. That's important for this reason as well. When the local church falls to pieces, or when the local church becomes unfaithful, so that with great sadness our relationship with a particular congregation must end, that doesn't mean we are no longer members, living members of the church of Jesus Christ. For our membership in the church is not limited to time, it is not limited to place, it is not limited to circumstances. It is a truth. It is a truth that we believe when we say that I am and forever shall remain a living member of that church. I believe that. And believing that, beloved, puts you in vital contact with a gathering, an assembly, a church that is unlike any other gathering or assembly that has ever and will ever exist. It puts you 
into vital contact with a gathering that is diverse in a way that no other gathering or assembly is diverse. That's the drumbeat of the world nowadays, isn't it? The drumbeat of the world nowadays is diversity, 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 diversity. But the truth is, if you do a little bit of searching into that, you'll discover that the world doesn't know the first thing about diversity. And what it really means with its drumbeat of diversity, 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 diversity is me, 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 me. It's my way or the highway. And you better make way for my life and the way I want to live my life. And I might make way for your life and the way you want to live your life. And the result is confusion and chaos and all kinds of different people going in all kinds of different directions on a collision course. That's what we see in the world today, isn't it? Chaos. But the church of Jesus Christ, that church that we believe and confess that I am and forever shall remain a living member of that church is diverse. It's Catholic. That's what the word Catholic means, children. Catholic does not mean the Roman Catholic Church or that church where the Pope and the bishops rule. Catholic means diverse. Catholic means that the church is a gathering of more than one kind of person. Catholic means the church is a church where there are men and there are women. And they are not the same, but different. A Catholic church means a church where there are people of every class and station. Higher class, middle class, lower class. Catholic means a church that is gathered of all people, of all nations, of all languages, of all skin colors, of all cultures. And it is a gathering that truly respects, acknowledges and respects these differences and delights in them and sees them as an enhancement to the life of the church. For the gathering of these members shows the power and the love of God who is no respecter of persons as Paul says to Timothy earlier in 1 Timothy Two, he is a God who is willing to save all kinds of people. He's willing to save kings and he's willing to save paupers. He's willing to save wise old men and women and he's willing to save babies. All kinds. Catholic. Believing I'm a member of that church unites you to a body, a group, an assembly that is truly diverse in a way the world will never be. It puts you into vital contact also with a gathering that is unified and united in a way that no other gathering is unified and united. The world attempts this also and fails and will always fail, even when it seems that the whole world finally is united under the thumb of the Antichrist, the beast that rises out of the sea. This too will fall to pieces in chaos and will erupt once more into violence and war as it always has. Look at all the kingdoms of the past, of history. And you'll find that those kingdoms fall to pieces and they are no more because they erupt into violence and war and destruction and disunity. But the church of Jesus Christ is truly one. I believe a church, we say. One church. All those diverse Catholic members which are as many as the sand on the seashore and as many 
as the stars in heaven become members of one body, one body that now is so fitly and tightly frames together that every member of that body is absolutely vital to the whole. Every member is just as vital and just as important to the whole as the eyes and the toes and the fingers and the nose are important to a human body. And of course, this kind of unity is something that we all long for, isn't it? Something that we all want to be a part of. That's a human longing. The human heart isn't content to be alone. The human heart isn't content just to be me, me, me. That's why even the world tries to create some sort of unity even though it fails. But in Christ there is such a unity that cannot be dissolved even though the world itself should collapse under feet. Even though all kingdoms should perish. The church, the one church of Jesus Christ will always be and I am and forever shall remain a living member of that one church. And that church of which you believe you are a living member is also a holy church and this especially is something the world will never achieve. The diversity and the unity that the world creates and patches together becomes an abomination. The kingdom of this world is portrayed in Scripture as a beast, a beast that patches itself together using various parts of different animals. And so it becomes a monstrosity, something horrific, something that cannot go on forever but must be destroyed. It's unholy, impure, but the church is holy. One holy Catholic church. Not holy because of the members themselves, but holy because of the blood of Jesus Christ, which is the church's one foundation that gives to that church existence and being and standing before the living God. Holy because of the Spirit that is poured out upon that church and inhabits that church, inhabits that church as a whole, and inhabits every member of that church personally and individually, drawing that church together and drawing that church before the face of God to dwell with Him and to live with Him in fellowship and peace. That, beloved, is the church we believe. One holy Catholic church chosen to life by God, which the Son of God is busy gathering, defending, and preserving by His Word and Spirit. I believe that. And I am and forever shall remain a living member of that church. Do you believe that? Is that your confession? Then that will prepare you to relate properly to the church now as we do see it. Because there is a right way and a wrong way of looking at the church visible. There is a way of looking at the church visible that comes out of faith and a way of looking at the church visible that comes out of unbelief. If the error on one side is so to emphasize the local church that it becomes a kind of idol. And that is a real error. It's 
more than an error. It's dead orthodoxy. It's putting faith in the visible church, in the visible church, and trusting in it as the vehicle for personal salvation. So to emphasize the local church that it becomes something of an idol is saying what the Pharisees did in Jesus' day. God will save us because we are Abraham's seed. We belong to the outward nation of Israel. And I believe strongly enough, beloved, to say this from the pulpit, that this kind of error has been a problem in the Protestant Reformed churches. It's a problem that manifests itself in this way. I don't have to know the gospel well. I don't have to be a student of the Bible in my own right. It's good enough if the man standing behind the pulpit knows his stuff, and I just listen to him and do what he says. I don't have to apply biblical principles in my own life and in my own family so that I live a distinctively Christian life Monday through Saturday as well as on Sunday. It's good enough if I'm just a member of the church that has the name Protestant Reformed on the sign. I can live in drunkenness. I can live for this world. I can enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season just so long as my name appears on the church directory and I show my face on Sunday. But that's not Christianity. An attitude like that does not come out of a living and true faith in Jesus Christ. What that is is idolatry. It's making an idol of an institution. And God will judge that idolatry as severely as he judged the Pharisees who said, we have Abraham to our father. That's an abuse of the church. And it's a real error. A real error that you and I are susceptible to. And we must examine ourselves on these matters carefully. But if that's the error on one side, it's an equally egregious error to dismiss the visible, local, instituted church of Jesus Christ. And that's the sort of attitude that has destroyed so much of the church in the Western world. Oh, I'm a Christian, one might say, but I don't go in for that organized religion. I don't go to church. Why can't I just be a follower of Jesus Christ in my personal life? Why can't I just listen to the promptings of the Spirit and worship God in private? Why is it so important to be a member of a local church that will tie me down to a one place and one time and that expects certain things from me. Besides, aren't most of the people in that church hypocritical? Look at all of the abuses that are being uncovered in the, the visible local church today about pastors and other church leaders. Look at all the problems. I can't be a member of a group like that. My mental health won't allow it. But an attitude like that doesn't have anything to do with faith either. Not faith in Jesus Christ anyway. Because if you believe in Jesus Christ, you'll believe what Jesus Christ says. And you'll believe what Jesus Christ does. 
And Jesus Christ is the one who instituted the local visible church by calling the apostles who were the first office bearers in that church. And Jesus Christ is the one who established his church as an institute by giving her the means of grace, the preaching and the sacraments. And Jesus Christ by his spirit is the one who says in 1 Timothy 3 that the church is God's house, the pillar and the ground of the truth. And it's evident that this refers to the local, visible, instituted congregation. Because the church, which is God's house, is the church in which Timothy, as a pastor, must know how to behave himself. And the church, which is the pillar of the truth, is the church in which there are bishops, overseers, elders, and deacons who have been called and appointed to represent Christ visibly. That church, the visible, local, instituted church with its people and its problems, that church is where you will find God dwelling in his house. That church, the visible, local, instituted church, is where you will find the truth proclaimed to the feeding of your soul. To dismiss the local, visible, instituted church is no less idolatry than to put your faith in the local, visible, instituted church. And that's for the simple reason that the church is Christ's church. And the Christian believes in Christ, doesn't he? And I believe this attitude also can be found in the Protestant Reformed churches. And this attitude also is something that we ought to examine ourselves on carefully, every one of us. A problem that may manifest itself in this way. I don't have an obligation to the local church to which I belong. The local church exists to serve me. The local church exists to make me happy. The local church is here so that I get something out of it. And I have a checklist. A checklist of all the things I expect the church to do to satisfy my expectations. And if my checklist is not met to my satisfaction, I have no problem hitting the road and going somewhere else. And maybe going somewhere else after that, once that church doesn't fit my expectations. And if anybody challenges me on this, I will tell them that my allegiance is not to the local church, it's to the one holy Catholic invisible church. I have a name for this attitude. I call it the Burger King attitude to church membership really a reflection of American consumer culture where we have all of these options, all of these possibilities, and it's all about me, me, me. And it's up to me to choose where I will be happiest, where I will be most fulfilled. Have it your way. That's the Burger King motto. Have it your way. You rule. But that's not the right way to view the local church. It's not faith. Faith will lead us in this direction when it comes to the church as I see it. On the one hand, it is true. My final allegiance is not to this institute where my name appears in the directory. This church, beloved, where we are gathered right now on the Lord's Day, this church could fail. 
This church could become a place of spiritual oppression. It could. And that would mean this. That it would become a place where the gospel of free grace is not preached anymore, but is traded instead for the laws of man. And that it would become a place where the sacraments are not used anymore as tools to confirm faith in Jesus Christ, but become idols that really turn hearts away from Jesus Christ and center them on the sacrament itself. That it would become a place where impenitent sinners are no longer held accountable and no longer disciplined according to the word of God, but are allowed to embrace their sin with pride. And if that happens to this place, this church that we see, a conscientious believer in Jesus Christ may have to take his leave. Of course, after fighting it, Of course, after using the means at his disposal to check the encroaching unbelief and to call the church back to Christ. But apostasy has happened before, beloved. Faithful churches have become unfaithful churches. And that will happen again. If our allegiance is to the brick and mortar of this place, we will have cause to fear, and we do have cause to fear for the future well-being of this church. You may have to leave. That's the truth. You may have to leave. Faith leads us in that direction, just as it led Martin Luther to burn the papers that the Pope wrote to excommunicate him, which was an unjust act. He had to leave and reform the church. On the other hand, though our ultimate allegiance is not to this institution, We recognize that the church of Jesus Christ does take on a visible shape in this world. It must. The whole enterprise of the church depends on it. There will be no finished, final, and complete church if there is no local church institute. Why is that? Because this is the way that Jesus Christ gathers, defends, and preserves his church by his word and spirit. And that word is lifted up in the institution that is called the church. That's why the church is called here in the Bible the pillar and ground of the truth. Not because the truth depends upon the church, but because the church holds that truth up high, makes it visible, proclaims it. That's why the church calls men to serve as bishops and deacons, imperfect as they are. They must work to hold high this gospel of Jesus Christ and to make disciples on the basis of the word of God. And that makes it a serious matter to belong to the church institute. Beloved, I fear that we live in a culture that trivializes this. And the times in which we are living trivializes this. There's no need to go to church when you can just listen online at home. There's no need to belong to this church when you can just get in your car and you can drive to any number of churches that are an array of endless possibilities for our palate. But the Bible does not trivialize this matter. Jesus Christ does not trivialize this matter. Neither will you if you believe in him. Your faith will lead you to join yourself to a true church and to commit yourself to its life. It will lead you to fight for the church that you do belong to. It will lead you to be an active member, a contributing member, to her life. 
Because if you believe that you are a member of the church, you will love that church. Let's remember what Christian love is. It's not the cheap and sentimental feelings that the world identifies as love. If that's all it means to love the church, we'll be gone as soon as our feelings change. Because then it's all about me. It's all about me. How does the church make me feel? What does the church do for me? And if it doesn't make me feel good, why should I be there? Christian love is more than that. The love that comes out of a true faith in Christ is a costly love. It's a love that's rooted in the truth. The love that comes out of a true faith in Christ is the kind of love that will make someone lay down his life. This is love, John says, because he that is Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And then this, this is 1 John 3, verse 16. And we ought to lay down our lives. For whom? For the brethren. The brethren. The brothers and the sisters whom I see on my right hand and on my left hand, behind me and before me. The brothers and the sisters, perhaps, who are still wandering in darkness and need to be called back into the light. But I will lay down my life for them. I love them. They are the church. Paul tells Timothy, it's a good desire a man has if he desires the work of a bishop. Why is that? Is it because a bishop gets to sit at the top of a hierarchy and tell everybody else what to do? No. Because a bishop, an elder, and a deacon too is in a position to lay down his life for the church. That's why it has to be a certain kind of man who's called to this work because it's a hard work. It's a work that has no place for pride, no place for foolish striving and brawling, a work that cannot give an inch to the devil. And the church needs men who will love the church in that way, love the church such that they will keep themselves pure, that they will remain blameless, that they will lay down their lives for her sake. And it's not just bishops and elders that the church needs. The church needs members on the ground. Members on the ground who will love her despite her weaknesses. I don't want to stand up here this morning and beg you all. Because God doesn't beg. And Jesus Christ doesn't beg. He commands and He calls And His Word has a power to create, a desire to do in the hearts of His people. I don't want to beg you. But I want you to know how important this is. You young people, you young adults, who will have to make a decision about church membership, I want you to know how important this is. 
Maybe you take for granted that this church is here and you say this church will always be here. It was here before I was born. It will be here all the course of my life. But that's a foolish way of thinking. God has not promised that this church will always be here. And God does not build his church through members who take the church for granted or through members who have a Burger King attitude. The church needs young adults who love her. The church needs young people who love her. The church needs men, men of God who love her, who are willing to be bound to her with an oath of office even, and to keep that oath. The church needs women who love her, who will nurture her, who will build her up rather than to resent her and tear her down. The church needs members. Members! Not just numbers on the roll. Members! Who believe and who confess these words. I am and I forever shall remain a living member of this church. You're Christians. You say you love Jesus Christ. Do you love Jesus Christ? Do you love God who sent Jesus Christ into this world to seek his church and to lay down his life for his church? This is how you show that you love God. This is how you show that you love Jesus Christ. When you love his church. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father who art in heaven. Thou art the God of the church. The God who has chosen her. The God who in Jesus Christ has loved her with his own blood. The God who is the Spirit who sanctifies and calls and enlivens that church. We believe in thee, O Father. We believe in thee, O triune God. And we believe, therefore, that we are and forever shall remain members of that church. Keep us, O Father, from the spirit of our age. Keep us, O Father, from trivializing these matters. Let the church, its welfare, its peace, be a serious matter in our minds, a weighty matter something that is so important to us so that we can't even have peace ourselves if we find that she is in disarray. And so we labor and we lay down our lives for her welfare. And not just the church as we see it, O oh Father, the church also as she is out there in the world, the church as she is yet awaiting 
her call as members still grope in the darkness of unbelief. But the church here too, the brothers and sisters whose faces we know, the children and young people who have a heritage in heaven, give us, O oh Father, to love her. Forgive our sins and our unbelief. For we are all personally guilty of so many errors. Cleanse us in the blood of Christ. Put that confession in our mouths. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.